Welcome to the Green Scene Podcast by Protect Environmental, where we discuss indoor air quality and building science with subject matter experts and advocates from around the world. Our goal is to raise awareness and foster an ongoing conversation about the importance of creating and maintaining healthy, safe, and sustainable indoor air environments in the places we live, work, and learn. Here's your host and managing partner at Protect Environmental, Kyle Hoyleman. Hello and welcome. This is your host, Kyle Hoyleman. In today's episode, we are excited to talk with Chris Zatelli, founder of Solar by Ecos. Chris is a lead accredited professional, HERS and LEED certified rater, and a Green Advantage certified professional. Chris served on the board of directors of the Kentucky chapter of the U.S. Green Building Council from 2009 through 2013. He was also a representative for the chapter to the Southeast Regional Council of the USGBC and was on the steering committee for the Midwest Residential Energy Conference. Chris started his career as an inspiring academic with a skill in carpentry. In 2008, he started his own business, Ecos Material and Services, with the goal to provide energy rating services and green building consulting for both residential and commercial customers. By 2016, Chris started Solar by Ecos with his business partner, Tony Sweezy. With both founding partners being building scientists and NABCEP certified solar professionals, they strive to bring a more holistic approach to the solar industry. Thanks for talking to us today, Chris. It's great to have you here. Hey, Kyle. Thanks for having me. I'm excited about doing a podcast. Yeah, as you'll recall, I had originally approached you uh, with, with what was happening in Texas last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, you know, just um, uh, we had a massive power outage due to an ice storm. And uh, the governor criticized wind turbines and solar power, saying it, it thrust Texas into a situation where it was lacking power on a statewide basis. Why are people blaming solar and why and wind energy uh, for, for this? Is, th- is this really a, a solar problem or is this something else going on in Texas? Well, I think we did talk a little bit about this individually and personally. When I had some, you know, other more profane responses to this question. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think at the risk of sort of minimizing this, I, I do think that, that solar and wind became a nice, easy sort of political target for deferring blame. But I did actually spend a little time looking at some of the academic reports that came out, actual sort of grid scientists and engineers and people that really discussed what had, what had happened down there. Texas had ridiculously high loads because it was so cold, Uh, not something they're accustomed to seeing at this time of year. I would like to, uh, uh, you know, attribute that to climate change uh, or however you want to wrap that up. But but clearly, uh, this was a winter event that Texas had not really seen before. So their loads on their grid were, were much higher than they were accustomed to seeing. And Texas has done a really good job of isolating themselves from the rest of the grid. Um, and I think that's just sort of a consistent with sort of that that sort of Texas need to be individuals and to be kind of left to their own devices. But what it did is it put them in a situation where they didn't have anywhere else to pull um, energy from. 
they were really isolated within their own system. And when the temperatures got to where they were, you actually had a lot of freezing of the gas lines and, and, and uh, the tr more traditional energy generation equipment failed because of the temperatures. Um, and then ironically enough, you, you, you know, I got onto a couple of conversations with, with some of the big utility scale solar developers and they were saying actually that, that the solar that they did have in Texas had actually helped make it uh, less of a catastrophic event. But to be clear, this solar and the wind did not fail the grid. They had to shut the grid down. I mean, they literally just turned it off because there was just too much demand and they didn't have anywhere to supplement that demand. So in truth, had they really utilized more solar and uh, particularly more storage, they would have been in a much better situation. But I, I think the, you know, really the biggest issue is that in their energy policy, they really screwed up by isolating themselves from the rest of the grid. And that, that was really the fundamental failure there. So it really wasn't an ice storm. It was more of a perfect storm where unseasonably cold weather, folks using their HVAC systems more to heat their homes, uh, a grid that, that's isolated from everything else, and uh, solar really didn't have that big of an impact on it. It sounds like just uh, demand and the inability to meet that demand is really what happened. Yeah, yeah. It, and it is, I mean, we joke about it in, in our industry, you know, the saying that the, the wind turbines froze in Texas is like, and they've got wind turbines all over Northern Europe where it gets a heck of a lot colder than it does in Texas. So um, I, I would I would argue the wind turbine was, was completely ludicrous. And if you have to shut down the grid, which means you turn off the wind turbines, then yes, they will form ice on them if they're not moving. <laughs> <laughs> but But they're not necessarily frozen. So, so, uh, so maybe this is uh, more of an example of uh, solar becoming the scapegoat and not the true cause of, of, of the problem that we saw. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Well, so flip the script then. Yep. Uh, solar took the blame in Texas. What could solar and other renewable energy do if utilized properly to prevent what happened in Texas? Well, I think, you know, the nice thing about solar is you put out a big solar field as, as a, a energy generator for a utility. Uh, there's there's really nothing that fails. Um, there's no moving parts. There's no plumbing. There, there, there's, you know, there's no chance of, you, you know. The, the ironic thing we kept getting pointed out about this whole winter failure thing is that, you know, solar panels are, are an electronic generator and and electrons move more freely the colder the wire is as the wire gets colder it gets it gets harder and the the energy can can flow through that wire more efficiently and so that's all actual design kind of consideration for people in northern climates is they have to make sure that they're not they have to oversize their wires a little bit in a lot of cases, uh, because the, the, the panels will basically run so hot during the winter, and hot being an electrical term versus a temperature term, um, but they can actually overload their wires. So, but that being said, um, I think you know you would have you know frankly a more stable power supply, and I do think it really is sort of about a balance. I mean, there's not a, a, a perfect 
you know, silver bullet. Uh, there's you know, obvious truth to the idea that the sun goes down, the panels are no longer generating. So unless you have a really good storage system in place, those panels aren't going to really do you any good at night. Um, but, but again, it's all part of the balance. You know, I mean, if your grid is overloaded, you know, because people have all got up and turned their furnaces off, well, the sun's up too. So uh, it could it could ease the pain on the, on the existing grid. But but, I, you know, you don't have to look far to see. I mean, it's across the country and across the world. Uh, renewable energy is becoming a much bigger part of our energy mix. Well, if it's configured properly and laid out, it, it actually becomes complementary to um, traditional energy uh, sources by being able to address some of the on-demand. The peak demand stuff could could mm-hmm. be completely um, on on the solar grid, couldn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and that's and and that's an interesting point. I mean, a lot of our clients, we look in the commercial business, and even if we don't, you know, have a hope of of designing a system that can cover all their usage, uh, what we're most interested in is trying to hit those peak usage periods, which is when solar is generating the most energy, because they get all these extra peak charges. Uh, in the traditional energy generation world, uh, when when those peak demands go up in the middle of the afternoon, they start firing up all these gas generators to cover for that extra energy. And and so they charge their client more if they're using more energy during those periods. Um, and so that's one way that we can really help a client. And, and frankly, it, it's, it seems to be a logical assist to the grid. If, if you're having to fire up backup generation just to keep up with the demand, wouldn't it be nice if everybody had a little bit of their own capacity so you didn't have to do that? Yeah, for sure. Talk to us a little about the, the science behind solar energy. Well, what, what are the basics? There was a great conversation in one of the discussion groups I'm in in the solar industry. And the, the question was, is solar magic? And uh, I thought that one of the, the responses from one of the 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 scientists on the call was like, it's magic science. And so it's like you get, it's the, the basic concept is the sun creates energy and that energy strikes these photo cells, these, these photovoltaic cells, the, the photons strike the cells. And in those cells, they have a positive and a negative layer of matter. And, and that excites the electrons and those layers those electrons then get picked up by the wires that you see that kind of create those grid patterns in the panels. And then that transfers that that energy right down into a, a wiring harness on the back and it comes out as direct current. Um, and then typically we'll take that direct current or DC power to an inverter and we'll invert that energy to usable alternating current energy, which is what typically what most people have in their house. So we take the sun energy, we excite some matter in the panels and that creates an electric current and we harness that current in the wires and it's, it's really simple. Uh, you know, there, there's no moving parts, there's no noise, um, but uh, there's real electricity coming out of there. And uh, as far as I can tell, the sun's not going anywhere. So, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's sort of like uh, a lot of the agricultural clients we talk to, we really... Uh, we have this sort of common perception that like we might as well harvest the, the resources that we have. Um, and so we're really just harvesting the sun's energy, uh, which is kind of magical. Yeah, it is. Uh, and, and so if sun's striking a solar panel right now, 
is that getting converted into energy for immediate use? Is there a delay to that? How, how does that work? It's almost instantaneous. Uh, um, so, so as soon as the sun hits that panel, uh, that energy comes out of those those wires. And, and to, what it, that's was a struggle I had initially was there's no on-off switch. If there's light hitting that panel, it's working. And so you obviously you keep the positive and negative ends away from each other. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they'll, they'll surprise you if you get them too close. You have a um, shocking experience. Right? <laughs> quite literally. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, so that energy it can literally travels right out of the panel, right through the inverter and is supplying your home right now. Um, I'm actually dumping energy onto the grid because it's nice and quiet. Nobody's home. And I've just got a couple of ceiling fans running and well, and my window unit. But uh, mm-hmm. so, yeah, so that that energy is immediately usable. And, and then you, the sun goes down. Uh, you either rely upon the grid or you have some sort of storage or battery that stores that energy up during the day. And then you can draw off the battery at night or in the uh, you know, instance of a grid failure, you can draw off that battery with, with a reliable grid, not being Texas, you know, battery backup is, is really, it's really utilized more uh, for dealing with uh, peak demand charges, or if you've got clients who just aren't hooked up to the grid and, and that's, we, we get those or, or they want to be prepared for grid failure. Uh, that, that's a, that's a whole different world there. So. So it's really, it's really not a, a use it or lose it type of energy source then. You can either push any excess that you're not using, like you mentioned, hey, it's a quiet day at home, not much going on. Uh, we've got a lot of sun outside right now. Mm. Uh, I'm pushing that back on onto the grid. That's your configuration. But if you wanted to be a little more self-sustainable, uh, you just you, you use battery backup, and, and, and so you're storing, you're not losing it. Correct. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, and 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 we've started putting together some systems. We call them a hybrid system, um, and with lithium battery technology being what it is, we're able to do some really cool stuff. And uh, we've got systems for clients where the solar panel system isn't necessarily generating enough energy to cover all their usage, uh, but they have a battery bank that's that's being charged constantly by the solar. Um, and in that case, we almost say that we treat the grid as a backup. So we've got these lithium ion batteries that can take thousands and thousands of discharges uh, over their lifespan and not really be negatively impacted by it. And, 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 and we can draw off those batteries during the day. So like right now, instead of me dumping my extra energy onto the grid, I would just be running my lights and fans off of my battery first. And then if I still have extra energy, then it goes back to the grid. And so that really, you can take a system that's not sized big enough to cover all your energy uses and combined with the battery, you can actually get a lot more out of it. Um, And then the nice thing is when the sun goes down at night, your batteries, if configured properly, will be fully charged and you can run all your stuff at night off your batteries instead of the grid. Um, and, and, and so it really, it, it, it sort of steps up the, the, the impact of the solar. Um, and then if the grid fails, then you have full backup. Interesting. 
<laughs> okay, good. <laughs> so yeah, we we, uh, we really like the battery technology, and, and we like being able to set up systems like that. And then it really does uh, up your energy independence. Uh, but uh, it's really expensive still, and that's just that's really the struggle with with storage is the cost. So PV technology is is definitely the the wave of the future as you see it, most cost effective, and more importantly, true renewable energy without any hybrid uh, heating of water or generating power through water turbines or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. And you know, again, the and I just think the cost of the panels is has come down so quickly and, and I don't know that it's going to come down much more but but what is clearly happening is the capacity of those panels is evolving at a, at a breakneck pace you know five years ago uh, we started doing designs with 260 280 watt panels and those were the high you know efficiency those are the best panels that we could get out there um i've got a supplier i just noticed on their inventory list the next shipment of this particular brand that they're going to get in is going to do 480 watts of energy for the same basic size of panel so we've gotten to the point where in five years we've more than doubled the capacity of the panels so i just i just don't see why you would mess with any other source and it's just so easy you know it, it just and the evolution is just astounding and great market. It, it, I wish you know my kids were into engineering or something like that. You got to go into electrical engineering and get involved in the solar market. You know, well, it sounds like a, a lot. Well, you know, listening to you, the the thing that immediately popped into my mind when you're talking about hey, over the last five years we we've come this far. I remember. Back in my early days uh, as a, a data scientist, when Western Digital manufactured a, a computer hard drive and it was uh, they broke the price barrier by getting to one dollar per megabyte of storage, and that was in my <laughs> lifetime. Yeah. Now yeah. look at where we're at. Uh, yeah. if, if you said that you'd had to pay a dollar for a megabyte of storage. Where would that put us? We're we're talking terabytes, you know. Yeah, um, right. And it sounds like we're on a similar trend with with uh, this renewable energy product. Yeah, yeah, I I agree, and it's I always make the comparison to um, cell phones uh, when it comes to you know photovoltaic development and, and battery development. You know, it's just what we're seeing in development is just really astounding, and then I think you know again it it, it uh, you know it gives me hope that you know that especially if we kind of level the playing field and 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 i don't even really know that you need to throw a ton of money at at renewable energy development but i I think we will and and i agree with it but but even if you didn't if you just stopped throwing a ton of money at old outdated dying energy technology um i mean they've already demonstrated that 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 a utility scale solar installation is cheaper and faster uh, than than building a new coal-fired power plant. Um, there's there's just no reason to build any more of those. They've already demonstrated that that a utility scale solar installation is cheaper and faster than building a new coal-fired power plant. Um, there's there's just no reason to build any more of those. Hmm. I was going to say, I mean, based on what you're talking about. 
obviously solar energy is becoming more cost effective, but I think we would both agree that yeah, there's still a common notion that solar energy doesn't have a uh, good financial return and mm-hmm. it's still too expensive for for the common guys. Uh, mm-hmm. well, what do you think about that? Well, it is expensive and I'm, I'm real playing with people. I mean, it, it, I, I, we were in our second year of business before we started putting panels on our own homes and it was it was really a cost barrier but you know but that being said i spent less money on my solar panel installation than i did on my toyota prius and granted i got three hundred ten thousand miles out of that prius but it only lasted me about 12 or 13 years Uh, and the panels on my roof are going to last a minimum of 25 years based on just their warranties and and if somebody wanted to keep them that long they'd last 40 or 50 years Um, the common sort of if we want to talk basic roi so if you're looking at a residential scenario uh, with our policies and with our there's no incentives in the state of Kentucky. Uh, the only real incentive you have as a residential client uh, is the federal tax credit um, at 26%. So you can write out 26% of your system, which is impressive. But we still, we're in about that 12 to 14 year simple ROI. And, and a lot of people think well, that's a pretty frightening number, but that's still about 8% on your money. Uh, so if you were invest in a money market fund or something like that, and you're hoping to get five or six percent, solar is a better investment. You know, if if, if that's what you look. But I feel like we can make a much better financial case than you know my friends who have been in this business a lot longer. We're dealing with twenty and twenty-five year ROIs, um, and those people were only putting solar on just because they really felt strongly about the the idea of having solar energy on their home. We actually have installed panels for people that don't want to have a climate conversation with us. Um, They don't want to talk about blue versus red. But I guess the the short point is that we have sold panels to customers that it was a financial decision. And in in the commercial world, we had a client that we got their ROI under five years. And and that, to me, is astounding. Well, you're starting to talk about a return on on that investment that's common to other similar items, uh, whereas it wasn't too long ago that it was 20, 25, 30 years to get there. Now you're saying you have some clients that, or even a commercial client with a a five-year ROI. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I do think that commercial marketplace, they, they have some more tools to help offset their cost, but then they also, you know, we don't have time and use charges or peak demand charges for residential services here in Kentucky. In some other states, they've switched to that. But for the commercial clients, you know, most of them have some sort of demand charges that they're they're confronted with. And so if you've got a client that their business operation is primarily a daytime operation, they don't have a second or third shift, um, all their peak charges are coming during our peak generation. Uh, so uh, it really helps us knock down their 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 return on their investment. You're out there every day talking with folks about the benefits of solar energy. Uh, We've talked a lot about cost and return on investment. What are some of the other things that you're hearing? What are some of the perceptions, good or bad, uh, that that you're running across in in your conversations every day, Chris? 
Um, well, we were just talking about this morning in a meeting. Um, we still have, I always get at least one person that comes up to me at a, at a trade show, or sometimes we do flea markets or, you know, last, uh, week we were at the Kentucky hemp, uh, growers association conference. Um, but there's always like one older gentleman that'll come up quietly, lean over and whisper in my ear, you know, don't you feel weird about selling solar in Kentucky? I mean, we know it doesn't work here and, and, and it's kind of a scam, right? And I said, you know, it's like, man, look, the sun comes up every day. Um, there's, uh, there's more sun in Kentucky than there is. And we, a lot of people, you know, compared to Germany and I, that sort of falls on deaf ears, but, but the reason it's a nice example is Germany has embraced solar energy faster than any other country in the world. Um, and they get fewer, uh, what we call peak sun hours. Um, and so, uh, for example, a, a peak sun hours would be really like the ideal generating sun. You know, and and so in the state of Kentucky, we have 4.8 hours of like peak generation time. Before that and after that, we're still generating, but they're not peak generation. You get to Arizona, New Mexico, they might be at six six and a half hours, but we still have 4.8 hours of really good sun to use here. Um, so that's really not the, the case. We have plenty of sun in Kentucky. Solar panels, another one to get, well, what about cloudy days? Where people go, well, it was really cloudy last year. Well, the panels still generate on cloudy days. If there's any light at all, the panels are going to generate. Um, in winter, we talked about that earlier. You know, get people say, "Oh, well, they won't work in the winter." Well, of course they will. They they, they actually work better, uh, actually generate more energy because all the lines are cold. Um, too expensive. Uh, it, it can be expensive, and I do think that's one thing that we keep talking a lot about uh, is sort of this notion of energy equity. You know, how do we get more solar panels into the West End where people really need help with their utility bills? Uh, you know, I think there's an argument to be made that a number of our clients are not buying solar panels because they can't afford their electric bill. They're buying solar panels because they want a different form of generation, uh, typically. Um, but it, but it. You know, the cost is a thing that needs to be grappled with. But again, I, you know, it's it's typically less than a new car. Um, so, you know, I guess it just depends on where, where you want to put your money. Um, and then the utility companies have done a really good job of telling people that putting solar panels on your roof is a really bad idea, um, that it can damage your roof or your roof may not be able to handle the weight. Um, but, uh, you know, all our attachments we use are UL approved. Uh, they're guaranteed not to create leaks. You know, everything's warranted. And anything that we put panels on, we do, we run through structural engineering. So, I, I mean, I just, I, I think those are sort of bad arguments. But but I think the biggest one is just that people just say that it just doesn't work. And that's just, that's just ludicrous. It's fake news. Fake news. <laughs> so so spe speaking of fake news, uh, are there... Uh, unintended consequences of solar energy for example um, air impacts does it impact our air quality are there uh, other negative impacts on on society or is it is it mostly what you hear that hey there's a lot of promise here and we need to continue with this technology 
Well, uh, you know, again, I think you know, addressed it a little earlier, but I, I do think, you know, there is no combustion. There is no off product. There's no, there's no product other than electricity um, from panels generating, if that makes sense. There's, there's, you know, the, we don't, ha we're not running generators. We're not burning things. There's, there's no fumes. There's no coal ash. I mean, you know, I, a lot of people don't realize this. We have, you go around these coal generating facilities and there's big mountains around them of, of, you know, really contaminated uh, ash um, that, that has to be contained. And I'm not really sure where it's going to go eventually, but, you know, that's full of mercury and all kinds of other heart elements that can be, you know, carcinogens. And uh, you just, you don't get that from, from uh, solar panels. Uh, you know, you drive by a big utility scale solar panel and you don't see that big giant, uh, you know, smoke cloud coming out of the field. Um, there's no noise from it. There's no, you know, real danger, uh, even to, if you're living right next door to it, uh, there, you know, you're not going to get all the sort of, you know, the, 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 the fumes and the, and the ash and the noise and everything that you would get from a, a typical generation. Where do you see the future of solar energy and, and just the future of overall green building science going, uh, in both in the short term and, and look out 10, 12 years from now? What, what do you see the landscape being for, for uh, ECOS and uh, renewable energy? Well, you know, we, I try to be smart about businesses that I get involved in. Um, you know, when you and I kind of, we're, we're trying to build our businesses involved in the U.S. Green Building Council. I, I proudly told my friends in California, I'm going to become a lead AP and I'm going to become a, a building consultant and help drive this green building market. And they're like, you know, dude, that bus has left the gate. You know, you, you, you've missed that game. And I was like, man, we have so much opportunity in Kentucky. Um, and so I feel like, you know, even in like, you know, markets where there may be more mature, we, we've we've not really even tapped the potential of the solar market here in Kentucky. Um, I think as a country and as a world, uh, solar energy in particular is, is, is growing at a rapid pace. Uh, there's, you know, more installs happening every day. I mean, there's there's amazing statistics of how many megawatts of, of solar are being installed now, and it's way outpacing any other form of energy. You know, with the international community has come out and when now we're code red on climate change and meteorological events. Uh, if we don't do something pretty dramatic, um, it's going to be a problem. And then, and then the very pragmatic side of things, I love, you know, uh, earlier when we had talked about doing this podcast, I'd done a little homework just to look at job creation. That's always, I feel like we're always trying to find ways to sort of play the political game here. Like how do we present this in a way that is common ground, right? We're always trying to feel like, you know, Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, whatever, we need to find things that we all agree with. And it seems like job creation is one thing that everybody can get on board with. And if you get into U.S. News and World Reports or, you know, the Department of Labor or any of these organizations that are publishing these reports, solar panel installers, PV installers is in the top three 
growth job growth markets in in any of these studies uh it, it's usually it's it's usually nursing wind turbines and solar photovoltaics those are the three categories that you see are leading in the marketplace right now so you know i think there are going to be so many opportunities for for young people to get into an industry that that really has uh you know no real massive negative impact um, and I think something they can be proud of and something that will, uh, you know, frankly help save our planet because we're burning. So in your last response, I heard uh, a lot of positives uh, and a lot of opportunity to, to turn back some of the stuff that we've done that, that could potentially be harming our planet as we move forward. Uh, also heard a lot about job growth, job opportunity, and it's, it seems like it's almost organic. What do you see? from a policy standpoint, do we need policy? What does that policy look like? And what do we need to do to get started uh, with, with those efforts? I think we absolutely have to have policy. We have to have a policy that supports the industry. And, uh, you know, and some of it, our government throws a lot of money around. Uh, we just released a new infrastructure bill. Uh, and fortunately, renewable energy made it into that. So, you know, the, the federal government is seeing fit to make sure that we're putting money into research and and I think in particular grid development you know again going back to Texas and some of these other you know sort of catastrophic events you know I mean California has had a bunch of issues with rolling blackouts and and quite frankly with fires being started by some of their generation facilities uh, and so policy is big Policy is an ongoing battle in in uh, in, in Kentucky. Even uh, you know, I belong to the Kentucky uh, Solar Energy Industry Association, and you know, involved with the board there. My partners involved with the Kentucky Solar Energy Association, which is more of a social uh, uh, community group as opposed to an industry group. But you know, we're we're in Frankfurt constantly. Uh, trying to make sure uh, that the utilities aren't able to do away with the individual's right to put solar on their own house and to be properly compensated for that energy. Um, you know, the solar, uh, well, the, the utility companies are very fond of saying that they're, you know, they're big supporters of solar. And, and, and it's true, they're buying about 60% of the panels that are being built in the world today are going to utility scale projects. Um, and, and so they, they are very much, they, they recognize the value in, in solar energy. Uh, they just don't want you to be able to have your own. They want you to, to have to buy it from them. Um, and that's a policy issue. You know, we're, we, we need to make, we need to protect the individual's right to generate their own energy. And the utility companies need to come to terms with the idea that they're not necessarily generators as a primary job, but they're managing distribution. Um, and so again, I think policy needs to drive grid development, grid stability. Probably really need to step up and tell Texas that they're being stupid. Um, and that they need to get on the grid. Um, you know, part of the Kentucky has this really interesting sort of crossroads. We have three primary grid structures that touch Kentucky. So a great example, Toyota has made a very strong commitment to 
uh, sourcing all their energy from renewable sources. And part of the reason they're able to do that is because you've got a company redeveloping uh, a former mountaintop removal site creating a utility scale solar field on top of that. And because of the grid connectivity, they can sell that energy from Eastern Kentucky back to Toyota in Georgetown in Central Kentucky. Uh, and, and Toyota and Georgetown could do the same thing with a, a, a utility scale farm, maybe in West Virginia. And I don't remember exactly all the states that it touches, but it, it creates this great opportunity for, for solar developers, so for the private businesses to come in and essentially supplement what the utilities are doing, utilizing that utility grid. Um, but, but I do think, you know, if we want to continue to attract business to this state, we need to, as, as policies, we need to really make sure that they're allowed to be able to follow their corporate commitments. If their corporate commitment is to use 100% renewable energy in the next 10 years, then by God, we got to figure out how to provide that renewable energy so that they want to move to our state. We provide that renewable energy on a larger scale. That creates a lot of jobs for local people. You know, we I have friends in Colorado at a, at a meeting that were like, man, you must really have it hard being in the state of Kentucky because Kentucky is such a strong coal state. And like, we've got less than 5,000 people working for coal companies in the state of Kentucky. Um, and, you know, and the last report that we gave to the Public Service Commission is that there are over 1,800 jobs created by by the solar industry in the state. And, and that's, you know, we, we represent one-tenth of one percent of the gener of the energy being distributed on the grid. Um, so imagine if we got to 10 or 15% of that energy, how many jobs that would equate to. So, and then we need to keep our tax credits in place. We need our investment tax credits. You know, If you want people to invest in stuff, give them an incentive to do it. Um, and there's a bill, uh, the next bill that's coming up, I forgot what it's called. It's not the infrastructure bill, but it's, I guess, the complement to that. They've actually proposed to extend the federal tax credit for another five years and to raise it back up to its original 30% level. And that'll, that'll make a big difference. That, that would be a, a, that would tip the scale for a lot of customers to know that they could take just a few more percent, a little more money off their taxes uh, to make that investment. Um, you know, and again, that's, that's, that's residential and commercial. So give the businesses the opportunity to invest in this stuff, you know? Yeah, absolutely. But before we wrap up today, Chris, uh, yeah. any, any last thoughts? I'm really excited to be involved in solar energy. I feel like I'm doing a good thing. You know, we we feel very strongly about practicing the triple bottom line. I think solar is a perfect business for us to do that. Or we can have a positive impact on our community. We can have a good um, uh, an impact on our planet, and and we can remain profitable. You know, we 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 donate a lot of money to nonprofits that we feel are doing good things. You know, for, for the you know for the industry. Uh, you know, or like uh, inter, inter, interfaith power and light gets money from us every year. Um, Habitat for Humanity gets money from us every year. They build great energy efficient homes that are resilient and safe for their homeowners and healthy to live in. And so I think, you know, you know, people need to, to, to stop sort of politicizing this crap and, and, and really look at, you know, what this industry can do for the community and embrace it, you know, and give me a call when you want to put solar on your house. Hmm. <laughs> well, and that's probably a, a good seg into, into wrapping up. Um, 
you had uh, so we've got a couple articles that you mentioned. We'll make sure we get those from you and, and post uh, with with the uh, podcast when it goes out. And then how do folks uh, how do folks get a hold of Chris and and Ecos if they uh, if they have an interest in in uh, solar and renewable energy? Well, we've got a, a nice website that we're consistently and constantly trying to develop and polish at, uh, at solarbyecos.com. You can also get to it uh, by Got Solar Kentucky it's from the Got Milk. We have a nice Facebook page. Uh, my partner Tony tries to do a little Instagram stuff. You can email my partner or I at Chris at Solar by Ecos or Tony at Solar by Ecos. It's pretty simple. And, um, yeah, we we give free quotes. It's all satellite-driven, full set of professionally developed plans. Uh, we can do virtual site assessments or we can do site assessments in person. Uh, if you know anybody who's got a business that's struggling with demand charges, we can help them with that. Try not to be too salesy. I think I've already crossed that bridge. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, nope, not at all. I we, asked, right? Yeah, yeah. We're but we're out there. We're on all the you know sort of typical places. Uh, we've been working on our Google search engine stuff. So, ideally, if you Googled Solar by Ecos, you would go right to us. Uh, or even Solar in Kentucky or Solar in Louisville. But don't look at the other companies. They're they're nice and everything, but. <laughs> Well, very good. So, uh, Chris Zatelli, thank you. Again, the company is Solar by Ecos, and Ecos is E-C-O-S, and you know where to find them. Uh, and that wraps up this, this episode of the Green Scene Podcast. Kyle, thanks for having me. You are welcome, Chris. Thanks for dropping in today and lending your expertise to this important topic. Well, you're certainly welcome. Thanks for tuning in to the Green Scene Podcast by Protect Environmental, where we discuss indoor air quality and building science with subject matter experts and advocates from around the world. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to click subscribe and join in on the conversation and be notified when future episodes are released. If you're listening to us via Apple Podcasts, don't forget to leave us a review. And if you'd like to learn more about the impact of radon and chemical vapor intrusion on indoor air quality, head over to Protect Environmental and check out our resources page. And remember, stay tuned and join us next time.